Well, if you want to open your Bibles to Titus, I'm going to read a couple verses from each chapter, but kind of camp out in Titus 3. So, all the T's there together, Thessalonians, Timothy, Titus. So, if you hit one of the T's in the New Testament, you're getting pretty close. Um... Pretty short book, Titus, 46 verses, and we're getting close to the end here, but got a really wonderful section here in Titus 3 that we're kind of going through here, uh, where Paul, it's his longest section on the gospel in Titus, and we talked about how in Titus you could split the whole book into really two points, doctrine and obedience, or knowing and doing, um, we talked about. We've talked about a lot of things coming through. Um, who is God? What is the gospel? What is the faith? Uh, we talked about church government. We talked about regular government, uh, roles of men and women, work, and how what Jesus has done for us plays out in our lives as just people with jobs and parents and fathers and mothers. And now I'm going to spend a couple weeks here just looking at the gospel, what Paul describes here in all three chapters, but specifically in chapter three is the longest section, and just look at the different facets of what Christ has done for us, uh, what the Father through Christ by the Spirit has done for us. And Let's just read here the different sections where this comes up. And in each chapter, Paul roots what he's asking us to do and who God is and what he's done for us. So let's look at that. Let's start in Titus 1, uh, 1 through 3, and then we'll start there. So Titus 1, 1, Paul, a servant of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ, for the sake of the faith of God's elect and their knowledge of the truth, which accords with godliness, in hope of eternal life, which God, who never lies, promised before the ages began, and at the proper time manifested in his word through the preaching, which I have been entrusted by the command of God our Savior. Okay, jump ahead to 2.11. He's talking about how we ought to act here in the world, and he's grounding it in the gospel. For the grace of God has appeared bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age, waiting for the blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. And then jump into chapter 3 here. This is the section we're going to be camping out in for a couple weeks Three, four. But when the goodness and loving kindness of God, our Savior, appeared, he saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and the renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ, our Savior, so that being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. This saying is trustworthy, and I want you to insist on these things, 
so that those who have believed in God may be careful to devote themselves to good works. These things are excellent and profitable for people. I'll stop right there. Okay, so I kind of gave a little background, like where we are in Titus, what kind of the main point of Titus is, and then where we are today specifically, where Paul's describing the gospel. And like I said, we're going to look at this same section several different times with like through different angles. So if at the end of the week you kind of think, well, you missed this, it's like, I'm going to miss a lot. (laughs) You know, this week we're just looking at kind of one specific, specific thing and we'll kind of circle back around and hit it, hit this same section again, looking at it just a little differently and turn it just a little bit and look at the same thing from a different light. But Today, uh, just really want to move from just understanding. I mean, I'm not going to present anything that you haven't heard if you've been here before many, many times, Um, especially if you've grown up in church. Even if you haven't, the gospel is the central teaching of the Bible. Um, The whole Old Testament is pointing forward to Jesus, and the whole New Testament is pointing backwards to Jesus, what he did did for us on the cross. And so here we are talking about the main thing, and the danger is that it's so familiar that it doesn't sink in, you know. Um, Remember, I've used this illustration a couple different times, so I'm not going to use it again, but I just jog your memory. Do you remember the time uh, I, I said... I, I used the kids as an illustration. I said, kids, listen to what I'm going to say. And I said, I've got a dollar up here, and you can have it. If you, All you have to do is come up here and get it. Do you remember this? And the kids are all sitting there, like, looking around, like, and I said, you know, does anybody remember what I said? And it's like, yes. Can anybody repeat what I said? And then one of the kids repeated it, you know, you've got a dollar, and all we have to do is come up there and get it. And, and, then, I, and then I said, and now think about the reality behind the words. And all the kids were sitting there, and the, kind of the funny thing is I got to see all the kids' faces and what they were doing, but you didn't get to see it. But different kids were, you know, looking around, and some of the kids were looking at their mom like, like, am I allowed to, like, go up there? And, and my mom's kind of like, and, you know, the kid's like, you know, and it's just, it's, it was fun for me to watch it. Um, and we actually did it twice, I think. <laughs> and, um, but the, the point of it was you can hear something, you can understand it, you can repeat it, and then it not really sink in the reality behind it. And that's what happened for a while. The first time we did it, it took us a long time before somebody came up here. <laughs> and then the second time, it was a little bit faster, which is also kind of a good illustration of God, you know, um, that what we're talking about today is real, right? I'm talking about a real God who really loves you, who really died for you. And you might be able to repeat that, but I'm asking, and what I want is for it to sink in, like, this is real. There's a real God here today that, you know, is with us all the time. And I have access to him through Jesus, and that's not just a fact I can repeat. That's not just something I learned and memorized. That's something that's real in my heart, and then I can lean in on that. And that's really the goal is not just to understand this, because I think many of you could even repeat everything I'm going to say already, um, but to move beyond that, to understand it, and then to move to marvel, right? To marvel again at what the gospel is and maybe at what Christ has done for us and not just know it, but it hit our hearts to where we're like, wow, this is amazing, um, and have awe, but then move not just to be amazed by it, but to actually exercise faith and trust. Like, this is a fact that really happened, and it's amazing, and it's wonderful. It, we marvel at it, but then actually to place our faith in Christ and, you know, worship, 
uh, worship him for what he's done and then live in hope um, because of what he's done for us. And so that's kind of the goal. But we're just going to focus on kind of one particular aspect. And we're going to focus specifically on um, God himself. So specifically um, who God is. And I would say the person of God, but it's actually God's a trinity, so I can't. If I I accidentally say the person of God, I'm just trying to express who God is, but I know God is actually Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. But um, the identity of God, who God is, the God behind the gospel is the focus today. And Paul actually is very clear, um, and he's bringing this out in this section. So I want you to look in chapter 3. Um, and notice how the words he's using, he's highlighting the person, be- the persons behind the gospel, the God behind the gospel, the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. And he does it also in chapter 1, um, rooting the gospel in the person uh, of persons, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And so look here with me in, in verse 4, specifically highlighting Jesus here. When the goodness and loving kindness of God, our Savior, appeared, he saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy. When the goodness and loving kindness of God, our Savior, appeared, he saved us. He's highlighting not just what God did in the gospel, but his heart, the heart behind the gospel, the heart of God. Uh, What was going on in his heart? He was showing us, when Christ appeared, he was showing us what God's like. Good. And we talked about this word before, loving kindness. Love towards mankind. His love for man appeared. And so today, the whole focus of the message is for you to... You know the gospel, many of you, that Christ died for you. That if you trust him, he'll wash away your sins by his blood. Uh, because of what he did on the cross, freely. Not because of works done by you in righteousness, but because of his mercy. And that's available to anyone. You don't have to clean yourself up. You don't have to do anything other than trust him to save you, and he will. And it's a real offer. It's a real living God ready to change your life today, not just to wash away your guilt and your sin, but to renew you. That's what it says, renewal by the Holy Spirit, regeneration, make you a new person. And so here's that offer today. And I want us to not just look at that, but the person of Jesus. Who's the one offering that? Who's the one who accomplished that? Sent by the Father. He talks about that and um, hints at that in in chapter 1 of Titus, how it was a plan promised before the ages ages began. And at the proper time, God manifested it in his word through preaching. So this has been the plan from all eternity, that Christ would save sinners. And so we know the gospel now. It's kind of like I just there's a story in the news you probably saw it if you check the news occasionally that there was this kind of this person that came to this mall and and they were you know they were gonna they had a gun or whatever but then this other guy just um, every while everyone else was running this other guy went and basically rescued everyone. Um, it was like a young guy, teenage guy, who just happened to be there. Or no, I think he was in his 20s, early 20s. Very young guy. And acted really mature um, and saved a lot of people's lives. 
And the whole news like cycle or whatever is asking this question, well, who's the guy behind this? You know, what is he like? What leads to somebody doing this? And it's kind of a person of interest story. It's like, here's what happened, but the real story is what kind of person does this? It's an amazing thing that they did. And that's kind of the idea I want you to have here today with the gospel. It's like, well, here's this amazing thing. And not just see what Jesus did, but wow, what kind of a God loves sinners and dies for them? And be amazed by that. And what leads to that? And we see it here in Titus 3. Uh, But let's start with this. Um, God's plan. God's plan. And we just read that in, in Titus 1, 2, that in hope of eternal life, which God who never lies promised before the ages began and at the proper time manifested. And here specifically, he kind of picks up that idea of at the proper time in, in chapter 3 where he's talking about when, when Christ appeared. And he describes Christ with these two terms, goodness and loving kindness or love towards mankind of God appeared. At this right time, at the, just the right time in history, Jesus Christ appeared to save us from our sins. And it was the plan all along. Before ages began, Jesus was planning to die for our sins and to serve us and love us in that way. This wasn't an accident. This wasn't something unforeseen by God. God was planning to do this all along. There's a person behind the death on the cross, Jesus. And I guess we should say persons, the Father as well, planned. And Jesus came to die for us. And that was the plan. It's an amazing, really, thing to think about. God planned to die for you for eternity, long before you ever lived. It kind of reminds me of how my grandpa would always say this kind of interesting thing. He would say, um, I've been praying for you but, uh, when you were just a gleam in your daddy's eye. My grandpa would always say that, which is kind of an interesting thing to say, but um, what he was pointing out was he's been praying for me since before I even existed or even thought about it, you know. Um, I even, even probably before my dad thought about uh, me existing, which is really a comforting thing <laughs> in a way. It's like, I don't know what your name was going to be. I didn't know if you were going to be a boy or a girl, but I was praying for you. And um, how much more God? God knew you, uh, knew all your sins. He knew ex- all the worst things you were ever going to do. And he thought, I want to save that person. I want to die for them at great cost to myself. That's an encouragement. That's an amazing God. Um, And not only that, I want to point out something else. God's self-giving, his self-giving, or Christ's self-giving here. This kind of comes up in chapter 2. Waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior Jesus Christ, who gave himself to redeem us. Not only did God plan to save you, God gave himself to save you. He came himself. He did it himself. He gave himself, I guess we could say, in two senses. The first sense is, what it cost to save you was God dying. And in Acts, remember in Acts where it describes uh, Jesus' death on the cross, just different than any other verse, it says, the blood of God. Remember that? The blood of God. It only comes up one time. That's a pretty amazing statement. It took the blood of God to wash away your sins. God gave himself 
Um, the Father gave the Son, and the Son willingly gave himself to redeem you, to purchase you. But not only that, not only did he give himself in that sense as you know, ransom or uh, penalty, you know, taking the penalty of our sins, he gave himself in another sense that not only is he the price for our salvation, he's also the hope. We're not just washed by his blood and then separated from him. We're actually looking forward. He's our hope. We're looking forward to being with him, to knowing him, to being united with him, to have a relationship with God. So he's giving himself in two senses, the payment, but also uh, the, the reward. Um, what we want to get out of our salvation is we want to be right with God. We want to know him again. We want to be in relationship with him again. And so he's our hope, looking forward to our blessed hope. Jesus himself, knowing him, being with him. So I guess I would just ask, like, Again, not just do you understand it, but is there a sense of marveling, right? If somebody died for you in real life, you know, um, you would marvel. And it would affect you, and you would feel, wow, this is, this is quite a cost. And because it's happened 2,000 years ago, we can't see the body. You know, we don't see the blood spilled for us. It doesn't make it less real. He really died for you, God, Jesus, on the cross died for you. I've given this illustration before. If we were walking out here and somebody had their phone out and was crossing the road and they didn't see a car coming, push, you know, push somebody behind you, push you out of the way and you turn around and you hear the screeching of the wheels and you see the person right there in the street and you think, wow, I was the one that should have been hit. I was the one not paying attention on looking at my phone and they saved my life. It would be real and it would be You'd be probably up at night tonight thinking about it. Uh, probably couldn't sleep. And just that real, Jesus died for you. Um, he really did. And it's an amazing thing that he'd be willing to do that. And it's just that personal, too. He knew you, like we said, because of his plan. He gave himself for you. And this gets really, all this is background to the two words that we already talked about in 3 4. God's goodness and his love for mankind. All these are just like kind of like building blocks to show us God really, really is good. And he really loves men, sinful men. God really loves sinful, foolish, disobedient, stubborn, led astray, living for all types of other things other than God, all types of idols, food, vacations, money, relationships, fame, Comfort, all other passions and pleasures that people are living for. God looks down before anyone ever existed from eternity and says, I want to save those foolish, disobedient, sinful, stubborn people. I want to save the mean and hateful and hurtful and greedy and envious people. I love them enough to die for them. And I'll do it willingly, happily, for the joy that's set before me. I'm going to go ahead and go to the cross. So look behind the gospel you know to see the God right there who's the one planning it, accomplishing it, paying the price for it, and doing it all because of his goodness and love toward you. He, God really loves you. What we don't want to happen, kind of one of the things I want to get across in this message is we don't want the gospel to become a thing that we get the benefits from and we divorce it from the person of God. 
and uh, I'll give myself as a kind of a bad example here. Uh, when I first became a Christian, I passed, was passing out these tracks that I ordered on the internet. And the tracks said on it, Ticket to Heaven. And I was passing it out, and it had the gospel on it. But then after a while, I was realizing, I was looking at it, and I was thinking, wait, this isn't the message I want to be sending. Like, I don't want people to think the gospel is a ticket to heaven. Um, that's missing the good news, right? The good news is not just that you get out of punishment and you go to heaven. The good news, that's part of the good news, but the real meat of the good news is that you get to know God. You get a relationship with him. It's not just a ticket out of heaven. There's a real and living God who loves you, and that's the good news. Uh, that God, the reason heaven's good is because God's there. <laughs> the reason hell's so bad is because Jesus isn't there. Uh, his, uh, good, his goodness isn't there anyways. Um, his manifest presence isn't there. And we don't want the gospel to become that. This thing I get divorced from the person who's giving it. And not appreciate Jesus for both what he did for us and that we're going to be with him. That, that was the whole point of God dying for us, about Jesus dying for us, is that we could be reunited with God. It's kind of like a marriage. Imagine this. Imagine today uh, we're having a wedding here, and then you start seeing some things that maybe are some red flags, okay? And the, the, the pastor says, um, we're gathered here today. We'll just say, let's say I was getting married, so I don't want to pick on anyone. We're gathered here today, so you, Andrew, will never have to spend 30 minutes looking around for your keys ever again. Your wife will always know where they are. <laughs> and you can just yell to the other room, hey, where did you see my keys last? <laughs> and you won't have to cook for yourself that terrible food anymore. And just on and on, a list of selfish benefits. And then I get up and maybe I read my vows. I am so thankful for all the things that you will do for me. I'm thankful I won't be lonely. I'm thankful I won't have to um, mop floors. I'm thankful that uh, I won't ever vacuum the carpet and it changed color again, <laughs> which really happened when I was in college, <laughs> um, which is really bad. But it's not as bad. Well, okay. I was the one that decided we need to buy a vacuum out of all my roommates. So in that way, I guess, it was like a little bit better. <laughs> I was the one that did it on my own. Okay. All that is to say, that would be a terrible, terrible wedding, right? If it was all about... <laughs> Um, sorry, it's so bad. Uh, if it was all about me, right, and my benefits, and it wasn't about, I actually love the person. I mean, when the, when the pastor finally got to say, does anyone have any objections? You know, like, if that's what's being said, you probably should stand up and say, like, yeah, I've got some questions. Um, depending, on, I guess, on how well you know the person. Um, that would be a good time. Well, we don't want the gospel to become like that. We don't want Jesus to just become this person that we like to use to get all these benefits and we don't really care about him at all or appreciate him at all, right? Jesus is not the, you know, the bellboy for you to get you comfortable and to get you out of your punishment. Jesus is God who loves you and who is the one we want to know anyways, um, the reason we want our sins forgiven is so we can be with God, so we can know him because we've been separated from him by our sin. We don't want the gospel to become this thing or this solution and divorce from the person of God in any way. And so start there. That's the main point of this particular message is to focus on the person of God, the God who planned the gospel, the God who accomplished the gospel, the God who, Jesus, who came to die for you, the father who watched his son die, you know, how painful that would be um, to see God. 
when we hear the gospel, not just to think of all the benefits that come to us, but think of the God who's the one that did this for us, planned it, accomplished it, and is now offering it to us, right? Not only did God do this in the past, but the reason we have the Bible here today is because God is offering this to you right now. It's amazing. And so we want to move past the facts and move into marveling. Marvel, wow, this is a wonderfully wonderful and amazing thing. And I was thinking about it. What's the best, well, I don't know what's the best way to get this across, but the best way I could think of is to kind of contrast this with maybe the first century context here. And it's kind of interesting because for the first century context, Jesus was not the only God-man that they all knew about because they're, you know, the emperors were claiming to be God-men. And even at the time of Jesus' death, there was the son of a god on the throne, Tiberius. Um, after his dad, Augustus, died, remember in Luke where it says Augustus Caesar, well, his son is Tiberius, and, or well, adopted or whatever. Um, but anyways, Tiberius becomes emperor or whatever, and he's literally, they called him, you know, the son of Augustus, son of a god. And so they have... There's a context in this situation where there's like a, a quite a contrast between Caesar and Jesus because Jesus is saying he's God. And it kind of makes a good um, illustration of how amazing Jesus is and how we should marvel and worship. I'll give you some thoughts here. So uh, first I'll start with Tiberius. So this Tiberius became emperor like in the middle of Jesus' like teenage years or whatever. And he was emperor through after Jesus died. But he was a pretty terrible emperor, um, and what he did was um, he actually hated the people, like he hated Romans, even though he was the leader of Rome. So he actually moved. He didn't live in Rome anymore. He moved to this island off the coast <laughs> um, all by himself because he didn't want to be around all the Romans. Um, think about that compared to Jesus, right? Here's this kind of wicked ruler who just basically hates everyone and they all kind of hate him because they think he poisoned this guy that was going to be his heir out of like jealousy or whatever so the Romans really hate the emperor the emperor really hates the Romans and so he just moves off and he never really comes back to Rome for like many 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 years like decades or whatever so he lives on this island Um, think about how different that is from Jesus like Jesus was actually God Right? If Jesus didn't want to be around human beings, like sinful, terrible human beings, he could have been born in a tower and never even had his feet touch the ground. It, God could have made that happen and only let certain select best people ever even see him or encounter him. But that's not what Jesus did. Jesus was born in a manger, and he walked around with sinful people all the time, and he let himself be mistreated by them every day. I mean, think about this. Not only was Jesus mistreated on the cross, certainly Jesus was mistreated every day of his life, right? Because people were not treating Jesus like God. People were not treating him with reverence. Think about all the things kids do to one another in elementary school that is just totally inappropriate for somebody to do to God, right? It's like mock and laugh and make fun of and thousands of things, daily things, where Jesus just endured it. Why? Because he actually loves sinners. So think about Jesus walking around all the time ministering to people. Uh, Caesar, Tiberius, was so fed up with people, he's just like, ah, I'm not going to be around any of you guys. I'm moving to my palatial estate, literally across the ocean, so you can't get to me. And Jesus is, I'm going to walk around with all the sinful people all the time. I'm going to let people rush up to me. I'm going to let crowds gather around me. I'm going to let people follow me all over the country. When I'm tired and I need a rest and I go off into the mountains, 
even then, people will come and rush around me <laughs> and uh, follow me out into the middle of nowhere. And he let them. And not only that, it says he had compassion on them. Think about that. God really loves people. It's, it's just an amazing thing to see the love of God towards us, especially you know, when you compare it to this other guy who was saying he was, he was, he was God. Um, totally unlike Jesus. And just highlights the goodness of God. I mean, Jesus had so much more power than Caesar. Uh, infinite, right? And yet, he acted so much different and so much better. I'll give you another example. This, um, this other emperor was actually later after Jesus died, but it kind of gives you a good feel for like what the emperors were like. So there's, this one is um, Domitian. I think I'm saying that right, but I might be saying it wrong. So um, Domitian. And okay, this kind of gives you a feel for how he treated people. Okay, he had a party and he gathered all these people together, all his you know people that work with him. Like, uh, just imagine all the people that the emperor would kind of rub um, shoulders with, or whatever. People that have access to the emperor and know him personally. So he says, "Hey, I'm inviting everyone over for this feast and this party. And when you get there, imagine you're one of the people. When you get there, everything's covered in black." And it's like everything set up like they were having a funeral. And so you would think, like, whoa, is this a funeral? Like, I thought I was coming to a party. And then Emperor Domitian says, hey, I've got a gift for every single one of you. And he starts out passing out little tombstones, literally stones. And each one is, has your name on it. Like, you get one that has your name. The next person next to you gets one with their name. And the whole thing is basically this big threat to all his um, friends and people that know him. Uh, don't mess with me. Think about that. That's terrifying, right? That's so scary, especially because he really meant it. It wasn't like, it wasn't like a joke. It was like nobody was talking silent, like terrified. Is this like, is this right now or is this like a threat for the future, you know? So contrast that, this God man and how he treated the people he knew to Jesus who throws a feast and he takes off his outer garment and he wraps it around his waist and he starts washing the disciples' feet. That is so different. It's like night and day different. It's unbelievably different. Think about the goodness and loving kindness of God. When Jesus is walking around the earth and the way he's acting, no wonder people had trouble believing, wow, this is what God's like. It's like all their experience is saying, you know, if God was a man, he would not be acting like this. Because here's these other guys where we really, they're telling us they're, they're God and they act nothing like this. He's so much better, so much wiser, so much more loving. So he, lo- he actually loves mankind. He's not selfish. He's living for others. What goodness is overflowing out of Jesus? It's unreal. So, you know, all these emperors, we give tons of examples. We can just go on for hours on these terrible examples. But I felt like those two kind of got it across, like the idea of the goodness of Jesus, that what would God act like if he came down the way Jesus acted is so incomprehensible, it's unreal. It's marvelous how good and kind and loving God is. Think about Jesus praying on the cross, Father, forgive them, they don't know what they do. Unbelievably different than any of the emperors. <laughs> I mean, uh, horrible, the way they acted. Um, God loves sinful, rebellious people. And instead of ruthlessly punishing them, he takes the ruthless punishment that they deserve on himself. Amazing. 
you know, Jesus has so shaped kind of the Western world we live in. We, we forget kind of the, the time of the first century, how terrible things were. And so we benefit from a lot of these, um, the ways that Jesus shaped the world, that we really believe you should treat people with respect and dignity no matter how high or low they are. It's quite remarkable. Um, the reason we believe that is Jesus. Because at this time, in the first century, you know, it was not you treat everybody the same, right? It was not uh, you know, the lowest slave and um, the richest senator all deserve the same treatment. That is not how it was. It was totally the opposite. So not only did Jesus act this way, he acted this way so towards fishermen that may or may not have been able to read but definitely were unlettered, you know. Um, they, didn't, they weren't going on to the highest schooling, and this is the way he treated them. Again, just another contrast of the love of God. God loves the least, the least, the, what the world considers the least person. God loves them enough to die for them. Amazing. Un, unthinkable for Caesar to do, to do something like this. In fact, there's a story. I'll just tell you one more story. There's a story where Caesar... Um, this is later on. Um, this isn't during Jesus' time, but later on, the, after the Colosseum is built, there's this Caesar. Here's someone in the crowd shout something negative about him because I think um, like he decided to spare or to kill one of the gladiators. And so this, uh, there's an account of this guy saying something negative, and Caesar like points, and the Praetorian guard runs over there and grabs the guy, and he's like, throw him in, and they throw him into the Colosseum. So it's like, that's what Caesar was like. Somebody says something negative, yeah, pff, throw them in. Throw them in there. They want to, they're our next volunteer for the games. And what about Jesus? Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they're doing. It's so different and so wonderful how Jesus was. Unthinkable. Um, so now what? Okay, so I'm just trying to build this, and now let's I'll try and apply this to our lives, okay? Well, first, faith. We should trust Jesus. Why do we trust Jesus? For, to cover our sins, to cover, wash us by his blood. It's because of who he is, right? It's not just because of what he did. It's because everything about what Jesus did on the cross is just flowing out of who God is. The reason Jesus died on the cross is because he loves sinful people. That's who, who he was and has been for eternity. We can trust him because... Of course, Jesus wants to forgive us because that's what Jesus is like. Of course, Jesus loves loves you because Jesus loves men, loves sinful men because of his goodness. So, I think this bolsters our faith because it's we not we don't just see the gospel as a fact. We see the gospel as a result, a natural result of the nature of God. If God is like this, then it makes sense that he would Die for us, because he deeply loves and cares for sinners, and he's, he's out to serve us. He put our needs before himself. That's pretty amazing. He saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy. It's like, here's what's in my heart. I've got mercy in my heart, and what accords with that, what, what flows out of that is exactly what I did. Of course I'm going to have mercy on people, because in my heart I'm merciful. Of course I'm going to love sinners on earth because that's what's been in my heart from eternity of course I'm going to take off my outer robe and wash the lowliest uh, people's feet why because I love men 
in my heart, God, he always has loved us. It should lead to faith, to see not only the gospel as a fact, but the heart behind the gospel, the, Jesus, the Father, how they love you. They really, really love you. Which one of those, I mean, just think about, what more could God have shown us about himself to make us want to approach him? Think about all those things we just talked about with the emperors. Like, all that is like a wall. Like, do not approach, do not approach, do not approach. Especially when you mess up. Whereas Jesus, it's like breaking down all the walls we naturally have. Like, run to me. Run to me when you're dirty. Run to me when you've messed up. Run to me when you sin. Run to me when you... You know, in every situation, run to me. And I love you, and I want to forgive you, and I want to wash you. That's so different. It should move us to faith. Walk in faith. And if you aren't a Christian, um, not only faith, I I want you to have faith, um, but hope. In seeing the person of Christ, seeing how he loves sinners, how he wants to save sinners, how he died to save sinners, for no reason in us, then we should have hope that uh, if we're sinners, that we know we can come to him. No matter what you've done, no matter where you're at, you can come to Christ right now. He wants to know you. He wants to wash you. He wants you to trust him. And we can hope and believe and know that God will save you, forgive you, be gracious toward you because of what he promised and because of who he is. That that promise is rooted in who he is, his mercy, his heart of mercy, his heart of love. So my challenge to you, if you're not a Christian, if you're not, if you're not trusting Jesus, think on what we've talked about today. Think on the person of Jesus. Read the Gospels. Read what he's like and ask yourself, can I run to him um, and, and have my sins forgiven? Do I want to? Do I want to know him? And I pray that you would really think about it. It's um, not just for the benefits, not just because you want to get something from Jesus because of how wonderful he is in himself. Of course, we want to be forgiven, but we also want to know him. We want to be reunited with him. Well, what if we, for, if you are a Christian, again, I think both those applications apply to us. This should bolster our faith and our hope. Think about this. I'll ask you this. How many of us sinned this week? (laughs) You don't have to raise your hand. (laughs) But yes, we've all sinned this week. Now what? Now that we've seen like the heart of Christ and seen what he's like, seen his goodness and his love toward mankind and his mercy, it makes so clear that we can just run right to him. We don't have to grovel. We don't have to clean ourselves up. We don't have to um, try and hide it or fix it. We can run right to him. And we can ask him to wash us and forgive us. And he wants to and he will. And he'll help us. It seems so clear when we look at you know, the plan of God from all eternity all the way to the cross, all the way to now. It's like, yes, of course I can run to Christ. I've always been able to run to Christ. If, if, people, if a thief on dying on a cross can approach Christ and... and talk to him and, and be saved and then, I, then we can today. When we remember what God is like, it, we, it, mean, it seems so obvious and so silly for us to try and clean ourselves up, try and hide our sin. This is who God is. It's why he became a man. It's why he did what he did on the cross. It's so messed up people can run right to him. That was the whole purpose. So should bolster our faith.
uh, if we are Christians. But also hope. Um, If this is who God is and what God is like, and this is what God wants, let me ask you this. Is God going to save more people? I think we should have hope. And I'll ask it in a different way. Do you have an expectation or belief that God is going to save people? Your children, your neighbors, people in Kirksville, people in the jail, and hopefully we can go back in. We can still pray for that, that we can go back into the jail, um, be able to do Bible studies there again. I think we should have great hope because we know what God's like. God loves sinners. God loves to pursue sinners. And if that means coming down from heaven and becoming a man to die on a cross, of course. If, he's, if God's willing to do that, then surely he's willing to pursue people in your neighborhood, your own kids, um, people around us. Yes, God wants to save people, and nothing's going to stop him. That's what he wants to do. God has planned from before time to save people. Is he not going to do it? Of course. Not only did he plan it, he promised it. He just he, Not only did he make a plan, he said, here's my plan, and I promise I'll do it. So of course he's going to do it. Think about this verse from, uh, we already read this from Titus. For the grace of God our God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, our great God and Savior Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession. He did all that to have a people, to purchase a people, and he's going to accomplish it, and we can have hope. You know, I sometimes... I feel like certain verses get so big in our mind that it can cloud other verses, you know. Like, well, one of the verses I think that has become really big is like the way is narrow, you know, that leads to life, and broad is the path that leads to destruction. And that's a true verse. We need to hold on to that. But, um, well, let me just ask you this. Do you have an expectation, like I said, that God's going to save people and he wants to, and that he will when you cry out and pray and ask? If that verse is kind of a barrier in your mind to that, where it's like, no, I just don't, I just think God's not really going to save people around here. He's not really, you know, I don't know if he really wants to do it. Then we need all these other verses where God's saying, like, I want to save people. I love to save sinners. And to kind of meditate on those and realize God loves saving people and believe God wants to and God will. And we can cry out to him and ask. And that's who he is. That's why he came down to die. Jesus came down from heaven and died to purchase and redeem a people for his own possession. If he did all that work now, is he, is he now unwilling to draw your neighbor, to draw your child, to draw your uh, lost family members, to draw your coworkers that you're trying to reach out to? No. God loves people. We should have hope and expectation that the God who is like this, that has love for mankind, that he is gracious and full of mercy, wants to save people today. And so that's, that's, a, that's a thought I have. And then finally, one, one final um, application here. We can hope that God is going to keep us. I mean, think about these verses here. He saved us not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and the renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. That if this is what God is like, all these things we talked about, his plan, how he accomplished his salvation, all that 
his heart, what's in his heart, mercy and love and grace and um, for sinners. If all that's true, then we can have hope for eternal life, that he's not going to do all that and then let us go, that he's going to do all that and he's going to give us the Holy Spirit, he's going to help us, he's going to help us persevere and carry us through to the end. He's going to accomplish it. And so not only can we hope that he wants to save more people, but that he's going to accomplish. And when he purchases someone, people for his own possession, he's not going to then decide, well, yeah, but you messed, this person over here messed up too many times, so I'm going to unpurchase them. No. God purchases sinners. He knows we're going to mess up. He knows we're going to keep on sinning. He knows that we're not perfect, uh, that we're going to press on as best as we can um, by the Holy Spirit. But we're not going to be perfect. And God knew that when he died for us. And he's going to keep us. And he's going to keep wooing us. And he's going to keep disciplining us. And he's going to keep forgiving us. And we're just going to keep running to him. Um, we can have hope. Because it's not in us. We're not getting there because we've got it all figured out. Or we've decided we've got this real strong will or something like that. We're getting there because of what Jesus did for us and his love towards us. And that is not going to change. And so we can have hope and confidence. Confidence because of who God is. And so, just kind of summarize and conclude. We're going to talk about, keep talking about the gospel, the different you know, aspects, justification, you know, all of these other things that kind of come up in here. But we never want to lose sight of God, the person of Christ, the Trinity, the Godhead. We don't want to lose sight of, this is God. This is the God who planned this plan the gospel, the God who accomplished the gospel, the God who really loves you and make the gospel some, you know, gift uh, and forget the giver, right? We don't want to do that. Just like my illustration about the marriage, you know, uh, and just ask ourselves, have we done that? Have we in any way ceased to worship God himself for what he did and got too focused on the gift itself and forgot the giver and I hope that this today will encourage your heart and push you on towards faith and hope and also worship. Worship Jesus. Worship the Father. Uh, worship the Spirit because of what they did for us um, out of who they are, flowing out of their love, their great love towards mankind. And so let's pray together. Father, thank you for sending the Son, Jesus. Thank you for uh, coming to die in spirit. Thank you for even being willing to indwell um, sinners at all and, and put up with us. And we know we grieve you and we ask for forgiveness. Um, Father, please forgive us uh, for all our sins, for the times when we sinned uh, before we were Christians, the times when we've sinned after becoming Christians and grieve the Spirit and uh, help us. We want to press on. We want to be a people for your own possessions, zealous for good works, forgive us um, and cleanse us and help us to uh, be more and more like you. We just pray, would you save people um, in our church, save our kids, save our neighbors, save the people in our families? Would you give us opportunities to talk about you? Um, and would you work in people's hearts? We're looking to you to do this. We believe that you will and know that you will because of uh, your promise promise to, to save people from every tribe, tongue, and nation, and we're looking to you um, 
to do that, not just in general, but specifically in our families and in our community here in Kirksville, in our family circles, please save people for your glory. We also just want to come and thank you, Jesus, for your goodness and how amazing you are, um, your heart t- towards sinners, towards us. Uh, we're thankful that you loved us despite us. Uh, we thank you that you're not anything like any person that ever lived. You're, you're God, and you're so much better and so different. Um, thank you for the gospel. Thank you for your plan to save us. Thank you that we can hear about it and read about it in your word. Help us to marvel and worship. Um, help us to have this to really sink in. And um, we're just looking to you for help every day. We love you. We're thankful for you, Jesus. Um, and help us to be more and more thankful. We ask these things in your name. Amen. <laughs>